Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Judy Garland forever. <laughs> we also have our special guest today, replacing Michael Snydell for today, Jordan Rout. Hello, glad to be here. Yes, our benevolent Lord and Master. Once again, walking down from Mount Olympus to talk with the mortals. This week, we'll be talking about, <laughs> we'll be talking about Mute. The newest film from Duncan Jones, the director of Moon. And then we'll be talking about Annihilation, the newest film from Alex Garland, the writer-director of Ex Machida, and the writer of such classics as The Beach. Wow, that was a really bad one to start off with. No. That's, <laughs> Sunshine. That's not his screenplay, That's though. better. Yeah, I know, but he wrote the book, which is crazy. Um, he wrote another book I read called Coma. Anyway, we'll talk about it when we get to Alex Garland. So... Um, yeah, that's what we're here to do today. I hope you enjoy it all. Two very hyped British directors bringing us their own sci-fi visions. One completely original, one a loose adaptation of a book. We will see how they succeeded. It's almost a theme episode, isn't it? Almost. Almost. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's talk the usual stuff. First of all, you can follow us on Twitter, at Show. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, search for The Film Stage Show. And, of course, you can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com, and give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. You can also help us out by giving to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. For as little as $1 an episode, you can become a part of this wonderful podcasting program. Uh, you get access to our Slack channel, and also you help us to produce even more episodes. For instance, we are now doing a monthly classic review, and this month we still haven't figured out what we're going to do, but we'll figure it out pretty soon, and then we'll record that episode. Anyway, you should you should say that um, the Stalker episode will be a good listen with Annihilation. I think. Oh, ap- ap- absolutely. Uh, we yes. we talked about well, wait, uh, we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, I keep trying to jump into the Annihilation talk early, apparently. But, um, yes, our Stalker episode, which is a classic review from back in November, would be an excellent companion piece with our review of Annihilation, I feel. And we're brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. Every day, MUBI releases a new film you have 30 days to watch. So that means you have a 30-film rotating selection from which to choose from. And this month... Not this month, but coming up soon, we have some really great, really great programs that are programs, some really great movies that are coming up. For instance, Into the Abyss, a Werner Herzog film, explores the legacy of a triple homicide in Texas, interviewing the victims' families and those convicted for the crime, including one man on death row eight days before his execution. 
this is one of those films that Werner Herzog released uh, that I wasn't able to get a chance to see. So luckily, Mubi is here to help me out in that capacity. It, it is fantastic. I, I it. It, I think it was my top 10 of 2011. I heard nothing but good things about it, and I'm so excited now that I have a chance to watch it. I did get out to see his one about the cave paintings. Ah, and, yes. Cave uh, of Forgotten Dreams. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was great. I fell asleep during that. Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. Um, <laughs> I, I think that was the same year, I want to say, and Into the Abyss was much better, I thought. Um, they have. Can I get two movie plugs as well? Yeah. They have um, Barry Jenkins, um, eight years before Moonlight, made a film called Medicine for Melancholy. That's on there now. Um, so definitely check that out. And then um, they have some uh, Boonwell films and... That obscure object of desire is amazing. I only saw it recently th- this uh, this past summer on the big screen, so highly recommend both of those. All right, so yeah, you can see all that and more on Mubi. To get a free thirty day trial, all you have to do is go to mubi dot com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi dot com slash filmstage for a free thirty day trial of Mubi. All right. So that's it for the housekeeping. Let's, uh, you and I, Jordan, talk about Mute for a second. Uh, Bill, you did not see this movie. Was it a lack of interest or a lack of time that kept you from seeing it? Lack of time, mainly. Interesting. Yes, so I um, I remember hearing about Mute um, pretty much right after Moon. <laughs> I, uh, I was one of those things where I saw Moon. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Went onto the internet and was like, what the hell is Duncan Jones doing next? And he had already been talking about this movie, Mute, that was supposed to be set in, like, the same world. It might have, like, an ancillary story connection to Moon, but it was, like, a kind of detective story. And I was like, holy shit, that sounds amazing. And that was, I don't know, 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he wrote this back in 2002, I think. Damn. And I remember they're like he he must have hired someone to do concept art that uh, that has been floating around for so long and uh, yeah now we have it now we have it <laughs> thanks to Netflix and um, so let's talk about it briefly Jordan what did you think of Mute Yeah so I well first of all I I was like Brian do you want to review this film we got a screener link and so I sent it to you and so you were the first person I heard an actual review from before the embargo and. Um, I would say you had, I mean, anyone could go read your review, but your response was tepid, and then the reviews came out, and it was, I feel like, much more negative response online. And so I, um, yeah, so I I just checked it out. So I kind of was bracing for something, whereas maybe if I saw it, um, you know, just off the screener link, I would have, you know, had more interest from the get-go, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's not good. It's not a good film. Um, I will say it has the semblance of something kind of interesting. I think um, I'm not sure how big the budget was, but and, and there is some cheap, weirdly cheap looking stuff in it. But for the most part, I think he does kind of build out a somewhat interesting world, even though it's mostly built on homage and not so much, um, you know, anything in, inventive or kind of like. I was almost thinking like there could have been like Terry Gilliam could have made something really crazy in this world and that maybe fit the plot better. Whereas Duncan Jones style is a little more reserved and just kind of um, a little bit more by the numbers. But um, but yeah, this is a movie where you're kind of just like screaming at the characters like, why are you saying what you're saying? Like there's nothing that really (laughs) makes sense with the the script in in like in just an overall ideas of 
uh, I mean, I don't, we don't, we don't need to get into spoilers yet, I guess, but, um, just, there's a lot of stuff happening that you're just wondering why is this happening? <laughs> like, I don't know if you had the same reaction, Brian. I, um, um I definitely did. Uh, <laughs> The movie starts off and it's like, it's interesting because it's it's hard to explain. It's a movie that has so many objects in it that seem like they should filter out into something really impactful and important. But instead of like, like, for instance, it takes place in the future. The main character is Amish. And I'm just kind of thinking like, oh, isn't that interesting that you might have someone whose faith keeps them from interacting with the technologies that have made everyone's life better and is living like a pious life in this world of sin that is this weird Berlin that they've created. But he's like working at a weird fetish club and he he doesn't seem to have any problem like getting around and it's just it's 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 kind of pointless. It's only there to make him just a little bit not great at finding people and to give him a little bit of an outsider status, but like he's, it's not enough to really seem like it's a huge obstacle. And then in addition to that, he can't speak. He is the titular mute. And that doesn't translate into like a more animated performance. He doesn't seem like someone who just doesn't have a voice. He seems like someone who's a little bit dim yeah, it's not even like like I I was thinking a little bit obviously of Blade Runner when you're watching this and especially especially the new Blade Runner and um, Ryan Gosling's character, which he probably just could have been mute in Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> if he wanted to be. And there's something even though I don't always love Ryan Gosling, there he does bring kind of like I mean it helps with when you have a cinematographer and a director like that and for Blade Runner 2049. But um, this is like the dull version of kind of that performance that Skarsgård gives. Like there's you're not really feeling. Much behind the eyes and yeah, like, just, yeah i feel like we should be able to pick up on some of his nonverbal cues but like he just kind of is there and it was really strange because i was like he's mute he's not dead inside <laughs> he should <laughs> like he should he should laugh he should be able to smile more than like the sad kind of reserved smile that he has and even when when he starts to whip into vigilante mode, he's not exactly like seething with rage. He's he's like a real Lenny, and I don't I don't know that that's the best way to handle this. And and we haven't even gotten into the fact that there's like a whole second parallel story that's going on that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for the first part of this movie. Um, no. It's it, I will say that they are more. The, I mean, you're talking about Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux's characters, and I they do bring kind of like life to the movie. Oh my a, god! But yeah, they more do. in a sense of like what what is going on, kind of way. Like but that's that's the crazy part is that like I think that the movie would have been better if it just followed these two fucking idiots like plotless wandering around Berlin because they're such a more interesting in to this future world they're they're like mob doctors oh, yeah totally and scars could have just been kind of this weird periphery character in the background yeah. like yeah and um yeah like so they're mob doctors uh rudd is a, a soldier who has gone awol apparently american soldiers are going awol all over berlin because they don't want to go to the middle east which is again something that seems like it should be meaningful and say something but it really is just a plot point to kind of make paul desperate I don't know why I just called him Paul like I know him. But yeah, so so Paul Rudd is like a desperate man. Justin Thoreau is 
weird. I had like a long, long time trying to figure out what their whole relationship was. I thought they were homosexual lovers. Um, To the movie's credit, maybe they are. They seem like they might have a kind of past queer romance. But at the same time, we also actively see them with women. So maybe they're just bisexual. I don't know. But um, the places that their characters go and the conclusions given to them are like dark in a way that the movie hasn't really lived up to, you know, like as a future noir, you know, this has the ability to go to a bunch of places. Like a lot of noir stories are really fucked up. Like just look at Chinatown, but, but this one doesn't live in that world until like the very end. I feel like the prostitution and the weird robot sex stuff is treated way too jokily for where it ends up. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we say a lot like, oh, you know, movie is totally all over the place. And for me, like if each of those tones is handled interestingly or more complex, like I think of um, you'll disagree with me, but I think of like Bong Joon-ho's movies and how like crazy they can be at any moment. And I but I think like he manages a, a through line that works and like. You know, whether it's super dark or funny and um, it can be all bouncing all over the place and he is able to kind of handle them. And it, it feels like something that could happen in this world. And whereas um, this is a movie where tonally it's all over the place and it just everything kind of hits with a thud, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. And we are going to be speaking about um, Annihilation, too, which is kind of interesting because I feel like they're both films where directors were kind of given carte blanche and fought for their visions and this one makes me kind of wish there was more studio control in the netflix model um i'm obviously annihilation wasn't produced by netflix but i know you know paramount was fighting to have it more sanded down and um this is a film where it probably could have helped if someone kind of read the script beforehand and asked them what is going on here so yeah it's it's one of the I, I forget who said it. I think it was on the, the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Someone once said, like, a passion project. Like, any time a director says, like, this is the one that I've wanted to make for, like, over 10 years or whatever, that, that almost always sucks. Because they've had too much time with it, they've tinkered with it too much, and they're just kind of snowblind to its faults. And they're just so excited to get it made that it it becomes a problem. <laughs> and this definitely feels like that. I couldn't locate within this the interesting idea that made jones think that it was worth creating and it's like it's it's dedicated to his father and his nanny at the end uh yeah well it was his (coughs) he kind of um stopped talking to his mom like decades ago and so this is kind of the woman who raised him Mm -hmm. and then um passed away as well so yeah and um so it was weird like i i was like but what is this (laughs) What does this have to do with that? Like, why? What are you trying to say about your relationship with these people? And yeah, um, so, someone had a great tweet. I, I forget what it was, but I it wonder, was like, I wonder what the I, nanny's reaction to this would be. Yeah, like, well, really? Well, so, yeah, that, that's what someone's tweet was. They're like, imagine raising a son that dedicates mute to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is pretty grim. Because um, I guess here he'll, he'll, we're going to go into spoilers. Um, if you have a uh, an Apple device, you should be able to just skip ahead uh, to where the the annihilation talk starts. Or, yeah, you could just hit it. mute as well. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, like, what happens is this: so Leo, the mute character, 
has a girlfriend who goes missing and he's looking for her. And meanwhile, uh, Duck and Cactus, uh, Cactus is trying to get uh, new papers for him and his daughter. And then you find out that the daughter that Cactus has was Leo's girlfriend, and girlfriend's daughter. And um, he killed her <laughs> so he could keep his daughter and has just had her in his basement wrapped in plastic, Laura Palmer style. And... So Leo finally finds this out and goes and he he kills Cactus and then he he goes and uh fucking <laughs> duck kidnaps him gives him a voice box so that he can say that he's sorry for killing his best friend but then Leo just kills him and then decides to take uh the daughter to her grandmother's to live happily ever after. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really quite bizarre film. Um, I don't like <laughs> what. So what? What kind of sucks here is that. Um, so there's a character, uh, Duck, played by uh, Justin Theroux, who is kind of like fun and flirty and weird, like really weird, but in a fun way. And then you find out that he's got a thing for like teenage girls, and and. That's not great. Um, Cactus Bill like threatens his life and says like, "If you ever come near my daughter, I'll kill you." And then, and then Bill figures out that like his passport is done. So he and and Duck like decide to go get drunk at the mall. Like everything is forgiven. But then at the end, when Cactus Bill is dying, fucking Duck like turns the security monitor that has Bill's daughter on it, so that Bill in his dying moments can see. Duck pick up his daughter and carry her off. Like, I feel, yep. I feel, I, I had trouble with that because I'm like, is Duck trying to make Bill think that he's going to like take his daughter to molest her, or is he like, don't worry, buddy, I've got your kid, she's going to be safe. Yeah, it's just, I think <laughs> like, that's I really... part of the bat, like why the script is so bad because you're just seeing these things unfold and you're like, it's just not clear what is happening. Yeah, because at that point I was like, oh, Duck hated Cactus Bill as much as everyone else seemed to, and now he's going to fuck with him. That's not great, but it's at least like a dark, twisty kind of noir ending. But then Duck is like, hey, mute guy, I'm going to fucking kill you um, because you killed my best friend unless you say you're sorry. And I'm just like, but you made him think that you were going to kidnap his daughter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. To wrap it up, I think it's, as Michael Snydell so wonderfully put with Colorfield Paradox, this is the perfect Netflix movie because the more you pay attention to it, the less it makes sense. So Yeah, yeah. That makes, that, that's kinda, <laughs> it's, it's weird because like, I can imagine just dipping in like every five minutes, like looking up from a game of Bejeweled or Candy Crush and being like, oh, that's kind of cool looking. Oh, Dominic Monaghan is dressed as a geisha and has some robots fucking on his bed. That's weird. Like... And I would just be able to say, like, oh, the movie had such cool stuff, and, like, there was a cool kind of action scene at the end with, like, literally bludgeoning symbolism. And, yes. Um. And uh, and then I'd be like, yeah, and it was over. But it, it's it's so weird. I don't understand. And, like, it kind of sucks because... And this is the problem with, like, Rotten Tomatoes, is that, like, when I looked this up, it had, like, a 5%, which... <sighs> 
I just I just don't like the way that that looks because when people look at Rotten Tomatoes, they think of it as a severity rather than just like a consensus. Right. Yeah, right. They think every so like, critic gave it five out of a hundred. Yeah. yeah. So like it it, it 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 seems like every single critic was like F minus when really like mine was a C. But when you have to make a, a determination, binary, rotten or fresh, I'm like, you know, if someone's just going to look at that tomato, like, yeah, it's it's rotten. That's why everyone should use Metacritic instead. It's because it? it has 30, 35 there, which is more yeah, accurate. Yeah, that sounds, that, that's a little better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, yeah, it's a lot better than 5%. Um, so, yeah, that's Mute. It's on Netflix now. If It's it's over two hours long. And um, if you don't believe us, you can go check it out for yourselves. Let us know what you think. But, but anyway, yeah, that is there's mute. much better ways to use your time. There, yeah, say. for instance, you could go see Annihilation, which is our next review. Woo! Yeah, Annihilation, the newest film from writer-director Alex Garland. His uh, sophomore directorial effort following Ex Machina. And this film follows a group of scientists who go into, I guess, a cordoned off mysterious environmental anomaly known as the shimmer in order to try to figure out what it is where it comes from and what it wants this movie stars natalie portman jennifer jason lee and tessa thompson as well as a minor oscar isaac and gina rodriguez and tuva novotny does that sound about right yeah no that sure all those accents Probably not, but yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll move on. Indeed. <laughs> Here is the trailer for Annihilation. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden pining, looking up at the sky? <laughs> Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. Here. Let me see him. He was extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones. Alright, so that is the trailer for Annihilation. Um, basic plot. As I said, a group of scientists goes into the Shimmer to f- figure out what it is, where it comes from, what it wants. Uh, the primary protagonist is Lena, played by Natalie Portman, whose husband had previously gone into the Shimmer without her knowledge and has come back very different and very ill, and she is hoping to discover how to save him. This is the movie that's based off the novel by Jeff Vandermeer, part of his Southern Reach trilogy. And um, has, have, have we all read at least the first book? No. I have, yes. Jordan, did you read any of the other books? No. Okay. I um I had a friend who was reading the first book and he said, Did you finish reading the other books? And I said, I got halfway through Authority, which is the second book, and then my dog ate it, and I just didn't think it was worth it to buy it again. <laughs> and I um Yeah, that that was kind of my, my hard determination on the entire series it was like yeah if you have it i guess read it but like once your dog eats it don't go out of your way to try to get it back (laughs) so let's see what we thought of the movie 
Let's start with uh, Bill Graham, who didn't have a chance to speak much during mute. Sure. I was kind of mute. You were mute. During mute. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this film. It is really <clears throat> wicked. I enjoy the aspects that it's exploring, uh, the themes that it's exploring. I think it's incredibly well acted. I think the visual effects and everything of of that nature look pretty darn good for the most part um i had some issues with how it kind of appears to be shot i'm not sure if it was just a projection at my theater or if there seems to be kind of a a sheen over especially the initial uh probably 30 minutes before they go into the shimmer itself or whatever however long that time period is um but beyond that i think the just the nature of this entire movie is is really fascinating but i would not recommend this to very many people um even if i was to try and see if they would like it or not i would i would hold this back from a lot of people um because either their personality or their just movie watching kind of has leaned against it so um it is not a film that's going to hold your hand, and it is also a film that will probably push you into the deep end and scare the shit out of you at, at certain moments. So uh, there's a lot going on in this film, but it's a hell of a cast, and they do a phenomenal job with it. So I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it's weird. I um I find it weird that you said you wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people because I feel like on a personal level, and I guess this can function sort of as my capsule review. The movie is great. It's it's fucking fantastic. I'm super excited to be able to talk about it. And it functions in my head like equally well as a thriller and as a um more cerebral kind of head trippy questioning the nature of reality and self kind of thing. And I think that like I could take a group of all of my friends to see this movie. And I don't think any of them would flat out dislike it. I feel like the mystery, the thriller elements, and the the kind of, like I said, the more cerebral aspects would carry everyone through. And I feel like everyone would come out on the on the other side praising whatever part would appeal to them most. And I think that that's one of the more interesting things this movie does. Because, like, for instance, The Fountain, which I love, if you were to walk into that and not be a fan of all the heady emotional spiritual stuff the exploration and the medical aspect would not be enough to carry you through they're too enslaved to the the higher uh, ambitions of the story but whereas this movie is like it really could just function as like a reptilian pulse pounding thriller and i i think that 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 is to its credit yeah. I, I would agree with that in a lot of ways, but I have a lot of friends that would just basically get to the end of this movie and then just look at me and go, this bullshit. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. Um, some people can take a ending and extrapolate out of it like what they want and what they need to satisfy them and some people will just look at an ending and if it doesn't give them a solid answer, they'll just be like, uh wait where am i am i supposed to wait until after the credits you know <laughs> when does nick fury so. show up 
Yes. All right. Well, let's see what Jordan Raup thinks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as a fan of the source material, I was a bit nervous going in. Just I um, his last film Ex Machina. I I didn't love. I, I liked it. I thought it was a little too kind of clean cut and and just kind of more of a sounding board for interesting ideas. And um, but then when I read this novel, I you know it's such a experience reading it because you're you literally felt feel like you know he just places you in this in this world and um and doesn't really build up so much of the backstory or or anything really of that nature it's just kind of placing you in this very very strange environment and um beautifully descriptive and um very transportive and so when um when alice garland actually it was the, the cinematographer rob hardy who said the only visual reference they used was was um stalker um it made me pretty excited because that's another film where um even though there is more build-up there it just it, you know you feel like you're in in this environment and i was hoping for that um and the, i do think they get the essence of the novel um i question we can talk about it but i question how necessary the kind of third layer of the story is the debriefing um part um i wonder if it would have been more interesting just to kind of um see this kind of unfold and be more in um in natalie portman's uh lena's character's point of view um the Mm -hmm. whole time and with backstory but we can talk about that but no simply as a kind of bold um scary but also um kind of fascinating and almost warm and inviting um you know place that the shimmer is as it pulls you in i think he does an excellent job of guiding your vision throughout and i agree with brian in in the sense that this movie is so kind of there's not much room for meandering like it it just you know beat by beat it just pulls you deeper and deeper into the story and he's um alex garland is really good at kind of keeping the scope so narrow that you're just every kind of scene ends on a button that you're excited what what's to come next um whereas stalker would be a movie where it, it does meander and i think it does it wonderfully but it's almost you know the opposite in the sense where it's um just kind of unspooling and there's a lot of conversations and um i wouldn't almost recommend it to anyone just because of that and um <laughs> And this is a movie where they they do fit that in kind of this philosophy, you know, um, philosophy and uh, about life itself and um, the nature of aging and everything like that. Um, a lot of stuff with Jennifer Jason Leigh, some great conversations and and but it, it feels almost like they um, do that stuff so fast that um, you know it's never you're never you know wondering when they're going to get to the next kind of point in, in the shimmer and keep moving forward because um mm-hmm. it kind of moves at a really nice clip and even at the end which we can talk about um it kind of reminded me a little bit of sunshine where it just goes for this pure emotional kind of catharsis um and really pr- pretty fascinating um i will say i don't actually love the very last shot of the film i think it kind of is in it we, and this is definitely spoiler territory but um yeah don't kind say of, what it is <laughs> i won't say what it is but i think it is in that almost ex machina camp where he almost was like new like before he even started writing the script that he's like this is the ending i want and i'm gonna get to it and it feels almost like intentionally trying to say something that's not as interesting as um another path i think it could go down so we can talk about that but um but yeah, on the whole, just really, really, this is the kind of sci-fi that I really would like to see more um, studio, you know, studios make. And it's really sad that only the U.S., Canada, and China will be able to see this in a theater because the sound design is incredible, the score is incredible, 
Um, the visuals, I agree with Bill. I, I, I think that sheen kind of like bright sheen is intentional a little bit, but, um, for me, it was more, there's a little moments of a little bit wonky kind of CGI that took me a little bit out of it. Um, mm. but on the whole, really solid cinematography and yeah, it's just, you don't see kind of R rated kind of thrillers, this dark in aspects, but also kind of hopeful and, um, just really fascinating the, the the things it handles so yeah high recommendation big improvement from ex machina for me and go seek it out before it leaves theaters altogether <laughs> yeah i um i wanted to talk about that actually the so the visuals in this movie um not even talking about obvious special effects like the the deer that appear to have like orchids growing in place of antlers or the, uh, the white crocodile with the shark's teeth. Um, but like the, the quality of light in this film alone is like worth diving into. It's got this kind of, in the review I wrote for my personal site, I compared it to kind of the rainbow effect that like gasoline has. And it's, it's it's just it's really interesting because even even in something like Star Trek where like they go to another planet like there could be weird plants and whatnot but like the light always is the same and so in this movie having that different quality of light you know it it just made it feel even more isolated you know because you're on earth we've seen earth we're we're in it but like this is ostensibly taking place in Earth, but with that kind of weird fractal rainbow quality to the light that just made it feel more dangerous. Like you felt like you were viewing it through some sort of film that had been placed over this this area of the shimmer. And um, I think that that makes it even more important for a movie theater to project things well. <laughs> There were people in the Slack channel and a friend of mine who was uh, talking to me on Facebook, and I think they went to the same theater, which is weird, um, because, you know, we're we're so dispersed all over the entire country, and yet these two people, I think, went to the exact same theater, possibly the same showing, to see this movie, and both of them were, like, extremely disappointed in it because of the, the projection quality, because when you have the light source in your world being that important to the story, poor projection can really fuck that up. Um, and that's just, it's, it's really, it's really annoying that theaters keep saying like, how do we get people to come in and see a movie? And you already have people coming in to see a movie and you're treating them like shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I do, uh, I do CrossFit and, uh, I'm a coach for a local gym over here. And one of the things that we're told early on is that it's much cheaper to keep a member than it is to get a new member. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of our kind of balance is trying to figure out like how to keep a lot of people happy. You know, when you have a gym with 200 members, it's like, okay, how do I keep 200 people individually happy? And it's tough, but it's like, yeah, you would think projection, sound, um, kicking people out that talk in text, just, you know, 
standing by what you're trying to do is the way that you're going to keep the people that you actually have, mm-hmm. the people that have weathered the storm, not the people that are going to be attracted by, oh, there's a screening with like talking and texting. Cool. Let me go do or that. Or like, oh, you can like, smell the movie. <laughs> yeah, this one will yeah, get me my, wet. My, yeah, my my chair will rumble Ugh. and vibrate. It's like, no, fuck that. Like, upgrade your sound system, yeah, Eddie. I will say so. that, like, the thing that nearly that that kind of worked on me was when they put less seats per theater and they were able to like look, recline. But like, because sure. that's that's comfort that's nice. and that it, it, that helps with the movie going experience. Because I'm not sitting on a chair that was probably <clears> reclaimed <throat> from a demolished high school cafeteria. But <laughs> you know, it's just it's just crazy, and I know that like people are listening to this episode and they're want to hear more about the movie not about the shitty state of going to the movies but like it just it has to happen it all ties in especially because again this is a movie where the optics are so important and like it sucks because you'll have more control over your environment uh at home you know you you will ostensibly have the people in that you want to have they will hopefully know not to talk if you're not down for that if you have a big enough tv and you have the motion smoothing off, you'll probably get a more pristine viewing experience from like an image quality standpoint than you are at these shitty theaters. But at the same time, like Jordan said, the size of the screen, which will allow you to see more detail, and the sound system that surrounds you in the soundscape that they create, like that stuff is important. And I don't, it's, it's yeah, just sucks. It's, it fucking, it's, it sucks. It's, <laughs> It's interesting because it would basically be the equivalent of if you turn on your TV and today it decides that it wants to play everything at 480p instead <laughs> yeah. of 10, 1080p. And you're just like, well, but I paid the same amount of money for this one. Why why am I getting significantly less quality just randomly? And it's like, not nah, deal with it, bro. Like, yeah. like that's just what you're going to get. And you're just like, well, can I return this? No. Uh, do I get a discount? No. Okay. Well, you know, and it's like, would you recommend that again? No. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. But back to the movie. Um, yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> I'm glad that I we had this that. diversion, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, oftentimes we talk about it and it's just like, like with the commuter and it not filling up the whole screen. Did that ruin the aesthetic of the movie? Like, did it ruin the themes? Probably not. But like in this movie, it is vitally important because what it's doing to the light is is integral to the story and to the, the thematic effect that the aesthetics have. I mean, this movie has a bunch of really great shots that are that are reflective of the story's themes. There's a shot where um, after Kane has returned home mysteriously, he and Lena are holding hands and their hands are obscured mm, by a glass yeah. of water. And so when one pulls away, the hand is moving in the opposite direction of the physical hand that is behind the water. And it's like such mm-hmm. a simple idea and a simple shot. But like, I don't remember the last movie that really utilized that so well. And then the fact that it's that glass of water that he picks up, takes a drink from, and that is then filled with blood is just like even more. There's so much great visual storytelling going on here and i think it boils down to you know alex garland obviously has a lot of ideas that he wants to get across through this and i think he knows that by seeding them into the visual storytelling you get to avoid having those moments of extreme dialogue 
that that usually accompany something like that. And I think that's a really intelligent and really engaging way to shoot a film. Do you all agree? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the way that he shoots it. Um, do we want to just start to kind of talk about this film overall and in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we don't okay. want to go to spoilers just yet. I feel yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. more we can talk about without. Oh, doing there's that. there's plenty more, plenty. But more. I do want to have a healthy um, spoiler section. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about this film, and y- y'all talked about how y'all would and wouldn't recommend it. And Brian, I do I do agree that there's a lot of elements here. Um, just the nature of the shimmer and them going into it. Uh, one thing I really appreciated, and this isn't really a spoiler, but um, we see them go into the shimmer but we don't actually see like what immediately happens mm-hmm. um and i think that's a really interesting thing that they're basically kind of playing with is they're giving us i don't think we see anyone actually come in or go out of the shimmer from their perspective right right and so there's just this ethereal quality that this film plays with throughout the very you know even the beginning um and it's interesting because when Kane first appears, even that sequence, you're like, what the fuck is going on right now? You know? And so you're questioning everything that's going on in this film throughout the entire process. And I think that's, that's such an interesting and brave thing to do. Uh, I do want to mention that. I believe it's actually Scott Rudin, one of the producers on the film mm-hmm. that had final cut, not actually Alex Garland, which I think is a really interesting thing that they gave a producer final cut, but not the director itself. And so I think maybe going forward, either A, we're going to see a lot of studios maybe sign up for that idea or B look at that model for this film and be like, Oh no, that's also a terrible idea. Um, that is a, that is a curious, that is a curious thing because I feel like, you know, obviously what we'd, what is, you know, this is a little inside baseball, but apparently Paramount was like, this is too weird. And Scott Rudin was like, this is what you signed up for. Like, and this is what Mm -hmm. we're doing. We're keeping this. And he actually fought to keep this cut. And I think it's, um, I think it's interesting. I think that is like a weird way to kind of go because he won't be as precious with the film. He'll also have an eye for the business side. But in this case, like he really sided with Garland, it seems. And I think that that might be an interesting way for a director who knows that he's doing something risky and crazy to be like, I trust you single producer because maybe we've worked together but like i don't trust the the production company um so maybe but you can it, yeah. be my eyes on this and let me know if it's too crazy and what's so strange is that it the, compared to the book the movie's almost conventional like at least the 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 first act like oh yeah with with the exposition that's you know to set up everything and um i mean one of the cool i mean there's also the um you know that they're given names this time around um mm. And I think the it, it's because there's one part of the book, which I don't think is, you know, is a spoiler unless you're reading the book where this, you know, the concept of this tower, um, which like, you know, it's is, repeatedly described how it could be, you know, going up into the heavens or down deep into the earth. And like, it's not even in this movie at all. Yeah, it was, that was kind of the funny thing. The funny thing for <laughs> me is not having known what this movie was going to be like. I am. Um, 
I read the book and I was like, how did they even do this? Because it's kind of like, here's just a quick rundown of the book. It's the same basic <laughs> concept. Um, yeah. Like there's the, the shimmer, you know, it's, it's this place called Area X and it, Area X in the movie is kind of like the entire thing, um, including the outside perimeter where the government facility is. But like in the book, I feel like Area X is just the the what is known as the Shimmer here. So anyway, yeah. they go in. They 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 take like pencils and books, and they're supposed to write all this stuff. But then they find a a she, the the main character Lena, who is just called the biologist, calls it a tower, even though it goes down into the ground. And they start like excavating it and going down. And she finds writing on the wall that appears to be written in living fungus. And then she inhales some spores. And so when the psychologist goes to hypnotize everyone, it doesn't work on her. Okay. Like, there's a lot of stuff yeah. in the book that does not come into play at all in the movie. For instance, literally everything I said after they go into the, the place. And, um, like, the ending the book, I remember thinking, like, well, that's going to be a fucking terrible movie. And I think that, uh, I think Jordan, you and I were talking about this before, like right after I saw it. I think Garland makes a lot of very intelligent adaptational choices. And I think that he creates a great movie that has like the soul yes, and the interest yeah. of the book, yeah. but without hewing so close to the actual plot that it just sucks. <laughs> Yeah, like the experience of seeing of of reading this book and and seeing the movie is similar, and but it gets to that endpoint in t- entirely different ways, which is a pretty amazing feat, I think. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I don't even know if I could explain how the book ends. No, well, it's much more of um, like a continuation, like a like it's just this story keeps going, and and with with the movie, it, it's definitely meant to kind of it, it, that's what i didn't like about the very ending where it, it almost feels like it's trying to pull the rug out from under you but it's almost kind of the obvious end point i thought like yeah there was talk before about this being like a twist ending and, and whatnot and it feels very much in line with what already I 100% happened don't think this is a twist ending yeah um so i i think we should t- talk spoilers yeah that's my opinion okay <laughs> um bill did you have any final things to say in the non-spoiler section <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I wish we could talk about this film more in in just kind of broader terms, but I understand like the nature of this of this film well, is yeah. is very it's it's difficult. Even it's my so broad term because, stuff because because I just want to talk yeah. about like the themes and what it means, but unfortunately that means like having to say what the fuck happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it, this is a this is a film that's going to be very difficult to talk about. You're going to hear a lot of. Uh, I mean, I, I had already heard a lot of uh, effusive praise and and just people just going bananas after seeing this film. And uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, but it does have a tendency to kind of hype up your expectations mm-hmm. and and things like that. And. Um, you know, it's rare for a film to follow through with some of the some of the praise that I had heard, um, and you know, I kind of made the mistake of of taking my girlfriend to go watch this movie, and she <laughs> doesn't like horror movies, and she doesn't really enjoy thrillers that much oh, because <laughs> she 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 doesn't have 
you know, a, a good tolerance for like high anxiety moments. Mm-hmm. And so like she was all over the place during this screening. <laughs> and so like at, at various moments, she was clutching my hand and then she released my hand and then like kind of like curled into a ball in the corner at some points. And I was just like, oh, geez, <laughs> what, what I do to my, we're going to have to have a conversation about this. So it's, it's a film that, yeah if if you have a friend that has high anxiety or you know just doesn't like those kind of aspects of movies um i would probably steer them clear yeah i would say for friends of yours who may not like the cerebral aspect but if they're kind of an action junkie this could be for them but yeah if you have a friend who's not so great with the the action and the the tension then that might be a problem it reminds me of the time i accidentally took a friend of mine to see snowpiercer which uh mm-hmm. i don't i still don't think she's talking to me um <laughs> that poor girl anyway um so let's talk spoilers for annihilation uh if you haven't seen annihilation get out there go see it it's uh it's really great aesthetically tonally it's a thrill yes. minute carnival ride of terror with a philosophy lesson on the inside all right so spoilers i am. Um, how do you all think we should do this? Should I do my famous, I'm just going to tell you how it ends and then we can talk about everything? No. Or should we walk up no, to I, it? I think, I think, I think we should walk up, to, walk it, up yeah. to it. But yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's slowly enter the shimmer, the shimmer together. Yeah. Yes. yes. So there we go. Yay. that's one of the, that was, I think, one of the coolest things that this movie did is so like they walk into the shimmer and the movie is kind of cut into three sections. Um, there's Area X, the shimmer, and then the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And when they enter the shimmer, you get a flashback that is actually a dream, and it's her having um, sex with a, a, sex. a professor who we'd seen her talking to earlier, who they had kind of a very mm-hmm. awkward exchange. And yeah. um, now you know why. Um, so it's her having sex with him, and I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Is like the is the is the shimmer making her feel like? she should have gone for it with this guy. Like I wasn't 100% sure what was going on. And then she gets out of her tent and is looking around for everyone. Doesn't seem to know where she is. And then everyone else is like, Hey, you finally woken up. Um, here's the thing. Do you remember setting up camp? And she was like, no. And I was like, Oh, well that's even stranger. And then they said from our food depletion, it looks like we've been walking for four days. And I was like, Oh, that's even stranger. So they've literally used the cut to mask this lost time that all of these people have had. Do, yeah, do, because w- yeah. one of my one of my first things that that I thought of and I don't know if y'all thought of this as well, but Ventress, uh Jennifer Jason Lee's character who who is kind of the lead, she's the psychologist and she's the one that has done all the psychology on all the people that have entered and the only person that has escaped at this point. And if if you're listening to this, I I figure you're one of two people. Either you've already watched it or you're just wondering what the fuck is going on in this movie. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll give you a little I'll give you some some breadcrumbs. And so Kane is the only one that has come back out of all the people that they've sent in. Yep. And Ventress, of course, has been doing profiling on all of these people. And so, you know, this is 
at a certain point, it's turned from what they kind of call a just a mission to kind of a suicide mission. And they they delve on that and they talk a little bit of the psychology of that, which I think is really interesting. I don't want to, you know, just outright spoil. Um, but they mention that she's done all the profiles on this, and what I, and she mentions that there's been no communication with anyone once they go in. And my immediate question was, why don't you just fucking like send somebody in and then tell them, hey, your job is to immediately turn the fuck around and then come back out. Like we we just need to just make like sure a that little kid dancing can... over a border during like a game of uh, yeah. capture the flag. <laughs> Sure, or something like that. I'm like, in. like, out. like. I just wanna, I wanna reach in, and then come back out, and then I want to test you, and I want to see what's happening to your body, and you know, right. test you for radiation and all that. And so, like, as soon as they go in, and they've already been in four days, and it hits that cut, I'm like, oh fuck this movie. <laughs> like, they're 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 already just like, nah, we're not gonna give you. You have that. already like, yeah, the second you're inside, it's too late. Yeah, it's one of those things. I'm one of those guys. I'm just like, what if we tied a rope to you and we yeah, could just yeah. pull you out? Just yank you. Yeah, just yank you. Do you did you take so that the scene where it's, you know, her flashback of, you know, having an affair. Do you think is that explicitly a dream? Because I also took it as potentially it could have happened when her husband was away. And that no, is no, the, no, I no, think no. That, so the self-destructive I think. nature. That's, that's she's real. Talking. That's real. Yeah, I think that. It is coded in the – so when I'm watching the movie, I thought it was just a flashback because uh, by this point, the movie has set up that there is the – there is her being debriefed, then there's her present, which is like beginning with her her talking about cells in her classroom. But then mm. every once in a while, she'll have a interior flashback that takes us to an earlier time in her marriage – and so I thought this was an interior flashback. Like it was just something she was thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. But what it, it seems like when she woke up that it was actually a dream. So I think that she was having a dream about something that she had done. So it was like both. Okay. Yes. But her, I wasn't expecting her to, you know, because like a flashback can be like a, a character's memory or the movie itself just trying to fill you in on backstory. And in this mm-hmm. case, I think that we can assume that when she wakes up that, clip was the last thing that she saw in her own mind yeah which is which is why she kind of wakes up and she's got kind of this terse look on her face and it, she's she's like well that's a fucking weird memory to have right now yeah and it explains why she earlier had said that she owed it to him to go in and try to find out what was wrong because as the movie goes on it becomes clear that he knew about this affair she was having and that that might be why he decided to go on this suicide, suicide mission. mission. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great if at yeah. one point they said, so what are we, some kind of suicide squad? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been funny. But as, as, uh, as Ventress points out later, uh, very few people commit suicide. Almost everyone self-destructs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or self-annihilates yeah, and and that's uh that's one of the things that uh garland actually mentioned was his kind of way into this film uh that's something that he was thinking about i just listened to an interview that that he did and he was talking about like that was one of his key uh revelations during this film 
or during the making of this film was that people often don't actually commit suicide they self-destruct they you know they drink too much on the side even though they have a great job they cheat on their wife even though they have a healthy marriage they do all of these other self-destructive things in what would normally from the outside be a very healthy life you know and so we all have kind of these tendencies and that's what he's kind of exploring through the jennifer jason lee character yeah i mean everyone in this everyone in this group has things that are kind of wrong with them um tessa thompson's character whose name is uh radic i believe josie radic she mm-hmm. is um has a history of self-harm and it's interesting because mm-hmm. uh you know tuva they're not Tuva, cast shepherd who's played by tuva novotny um is kind of filling in the backstory of these people and she says like Josie mm-hmm. always has long sleeves cuz she doesn't want you to see the cuts on her arms and Lena asks like oh did she try to kill herself and uh Cass says like no she quite the opposite she was trying to feel alive mm-hmm. and um that's such an interesting kind of flip of that kind of idea yeah, right cuz it's it's fun. it's 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 an interesting thing because like I have known people who have cut um and you know self harm is a common coping mechanism for people who don't know how to do better um and it is that kind of concept of like you know you uh, people think it's like a cry for help like you're just trying to kill yourself but it's like no the pain is the thing that like brings me back and lets me know that I'm still capable of feeling anything um at the same time Anya Thorinson played by Gina Rodriguez is a former alcoholic well she's an alcoholic but she doesn't drink anymore she is currently sober and um, mm-hmm. obviously, Lena has her husband dying, uh, possibly because he went in because he knew about her affair. And then we find out that Dr. Ventress, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, has cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these people have a reason to view the possible <laughs> lack of any way out with something less than abject horror. It's like a way to kind of give meaning to what may have been a life that's not really worth living anymore because Shepard actually lost her daughter to leukemia Mm -hmm. and said she had to mourn like once for her daughter and then once for the person that she herself had used to be been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of heavy (laughs) themes kind of, kind of being dropped. Um, I I was going to say, I really like the details how, so from the basic sense is that, that what the shimmer does is kind of take cells and in your DNA and kind of mutates it to the sense where it carries through um, everyone else is what I took it as. And so, um, like, did you guys catch like the tattoo that was yes. on was on the the effed up guy in the bottom of the pool that and then it showed up only at the end on Natalie Portman's character in the debriefing scene. Wait, no, it and was on it was on It was on Gina Rodriguez. It was on Gina Rodriguez as yes. well. I was, yes, but I yeah. And then it went to somehow that creature the which is by the way, the that effect was amazing. The 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 bear guy with his head torn off but oh mutated yeah, skull. That that reminded me of a Hannibal? Uh, of like yeah it reminded me so much of hannibal i was just like holy <laughs> shit the production designer must have shared a lot of notes with with the people from hannibal um, one of the that that like that's the weirdest thing is like hannibal was really good at this and this movie is the same it's how beautiful everything is like 
It's so yeah, easy even, to ma- even it's gory. Yeah, it's yeah. so easy to make that stuff like disgusting. But this movie, um, I was I in, I wrote in my review like it's the rare movie where even though you're certain that something could jump out at someone, you still want them to peer closer because it's so gorgeous. Like yeah. you get even, it, you understand why these people are doing this thing because it's just so beautiful that you're like, yeah, I want to get closer to this dismembered body, <laughs> and I want to get closer to this clutch of trees that's on the edge of a creepy swamp like it's it's insane how how beautiful everything is and how much more effective that is than like the usual twist of like let's just make it look like a nightmare yeah and that i was the first time when i was like okay this movie is not fucking around is the crocodile scene which was amazing yeah um just the way he blocks that and, and shoots that and you know how she's pulled away she's pulled in and you don't really know it's like this weird house where half of it's underwater and mm-hmm. um and then the way he films the the croc i love the shot where it's inside the crocodile's mouth um <laughs> how that how it ends it's just it's so good so good and all the creatures like the the we can definitely talk about it maybe later but the the bit half bear half i don't even know what um mutation was amazing cassidy yeah it definitely yeah. has cass's voice but it it's it's yeah. weird but the face of it yeah the face like, is like a it's a like a elongated deteriorated that hasn't quite mm-hmm. filled with hair yet yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah so that that sequence um a lot of these creature designs and effects and the way that you kind of look into them <clears throat> remind me a lot of uh princess mononoke um which is about kind of the forest gods and kind of them taking back over and that there's this kind of sickness breeding and there's a scene early on in princess mononoke where you see this demonic kind of uh uh, what is it? Boar, and it's talking, oh, yeah. and you're like, whoa, whoa, and it's talking in this voice, and it's clearly been like infected by something. And that bear sequence reminded me of like a live action version of that, and it was so unsettling because it's doing multiple things at the same time. It's giving you this idea that this is both just a random animal, but also something else. And so you don't want to harm it, but then again, it's also a giant fucking bear-like thing, and it wants to do you harm. And so you're just like, there's this weird kind of moment when it's ultimately taken down that you're kind of sad, but you're also happy for the characters inside of the film. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow, this is this is a lot going on, and this is hard to process. And I thought it was very interesting that so many films like this, and we give them a lot of praise, but so many films like this would hold that creature back, wouldn't kind of put it up to the spotlight. And this film is, you know, it's, I think it was made for $45 million, somewhere around there, 40, 45. And the visual effects on that bear are absolutely fantastic. They put it, they put their money where it needs to go. Like that crocodile was really good too. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree. Even the deer, which are for some reason I don't know what it is. CGI just cannot make a deer that looks really <laughs> like every time a CGI deer is on the screen. I'm like, could you not just get stock footage of a real deer? There's like, <laughs> or could you not just get a deer? Like deer are not. <laughs> I, we've, I know we've people. Created lifelike and they're out there. We've created lifelike environments, but it's still they haven't cracked that yet. The visual they have not cracked is. the deer. 
Maybe Avatar, Avatar 2 to 5. They'll, <laughs> one of those films will get it. Well, the deer in this are supposed to be otherworldly, so I think that that yeah, helps. It like, fits they, better, yeah. They, they, it's not they three billboards, cool, but, yeah. Yeah, three billboards wasn't great. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. Like The deer and her barely shared any screen time, so I don't know why you couldn't just get some stock footage of a yeah. fucking deer. But again, <laughs> I have friends who have basically domesticated deer it's not hard. You know how you do it? You just put a shit ton of corn in a trough in your backyard, and then you and the deer hang out. Like, a deer is more interested in food than it is in its own safety. Yeah. It's okay. just like, just good. how expensive could it be to rent a deer? I'm sorry. This is a weird <laughs> tangent. I don't know why it's making me so angry. In this movie, the deer were great. And you get the first... This is where she, what she talks about with, like, echoes being a thing, because there's one deer... And then suddenly a second deer steps from behind it, it looks like. Yes. But then they move in not perfect, but nearly perfect synchronicity. And the one new deer is slightly darker than the other deer. Yes, I noticed that. Very Which weird. Is the perfect segue for the last act. Yes. <laughs> um, I um I gotta say, the the climax in the lighthouse might be like my favorite sequence in a movie that i've seen in quite some time yeah it's like i'm gonna get a lot of shit for this but it's like if i enjoyed under the skin more um i know everyone loves that movie but it just this movie has under the skinny yeah (laughs) yeah it has these ideas but doesn't in a way that i felt much more emotionally satisfying like this pure representation of like kind of self-destruction and um someone kind of i mean we can talk exactly what happens but it's this she goes into the butthole of the lighthouse <laughs> and um and yeah you see jennifer which in that was in the book right the jennifer jason lee character getting quote-unquote annihilated i believe was in the book i think so i, I, I remember that. that happened yeah yeah and that that was the one when i was talking about the cgi effect it didn't it was just a little too I don't know. It was like too bright at once and like a little schlocky, but what what came right after that was beautiful with the 2001-esque, like peering that, into the, her blood mutating um, and giving herself over to the shimmer, I thought was beautiful. Yeah, I um, feel like a lot of people are going to get hung up on what, quote-unquote, all of that was. Like, was the weird geometric paint-shifting gradient blob like the alien... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think like the shimmer is like this entity and then she saw, you know, um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character give herself up to it and like the ultimate end of self-destruction. And then she, her when her blood goes into it, it creates kind of the uh, manifestation of her kind of whether it's like depression or self-destruction. And then that's like, I mean, it's like that whole dance sequence, so to speak, oh is God. like literally the, an amazing um, um, representation of like how, you know, you just get you, you yourself gets um, in your own way in the sense of whether it's whatever you're dealing with. And um, I found that really fascinating how he was able to bring that to life. Um, yeah, it's like it's like when she's at the door and trying to get out and it's her, you know, she's just getting crushed to death by herself and all that. I just because I love she's like that. slammed herself against the door. And so this thing that's moving like slightly out of sync with her slams into the door as well. But like as she's trying to open it, so it closes the door and then she's stuck. And so it's stuck on top of her. It's this 
it's super weird how strange but non well i guess we haven't even explained it but if you're listening to this god help you i hope you've seen this movie (laughs) otherwise this is not going to make any sense but yeah that whole weird chromatic interpretive dance shadow version of her Mm -hmm. and there's it's so weird there's such curiosity in the physicality of the movements that this thing is doing because it doesn't feel like it's connected to her like psychically it feels as though it's observing her and is trying to understand what she's doing like i had a strange amount of empathy for that thing i don't know if anyone else felt that Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, by the way, it's choreographed by um, Bobby Jean Smith, like a famous dancer, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah and he actually used her for Ek Machina as well, oh, okay. I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, Alice Garland's dance sequences are all very strange, but mm-hmm. great. Um, well, he understands <laughs> the importance of, like, movement and, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like, that's why I was... Movement. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what I was worried about this script would, was that he was going to, like, Ex Machina kind of overwrite, and, like, I think that's what, that, that was my problem with that movie, and I love how he just kind of visually manifests um, this idea in, in a really great way, and I, that's exactly what I was hoping for, and so um, that's what I, when I, earlier when I was saying how it's a, you know, a really faithful um, adaptation of the source material without being slavish to it. I feel like that's really what I was hoping for. And he did succeed in that. Um, yeah, I think I did. You guys interpret it in any way that's not literal, literal, like I did, like the self-destructive tendency kind of being at the forefront of whatever was going on. I, or were um, you just kind of into the experience of, I was sort unfold? of into the experience. <laughs> and then since then I've been turning it over in my head. And to me, the whole movie feels like, sort of like an externalizing an externalization of like the concept of you in order to grow as a person have to kind of kill the person you were before yeah um which is similar to what you're talking about it's jennifer jason lee's character dr ventress says at some point like this whole place is changing us not just like our physicality and our dna but like who we are and so I want to get to the lighthouse before, like, the person who I am now doesn't exist anymore. Which is, like, the truth of all human life. You know, I I had to slay the teenager that I was to become the man that I am. You know, you have to, like, mm-hmm. get rid of and destroy a lot of pieces of yourself to become something better or at least more yeah. mature. And... I or think else that, you will like stay dormant and die, virtually die. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You'll become a um, you'll become an early career stage Seth Rogen character, um, <laughs> you know. And no one wants that. No one wants to be that guy. So it was, yeah, it was really, it was really weird. It was, it was kind of interesting to see this because you have the moment where Oscar Isaac is on the screen. And you're watching this video that was taken of him, like killing himself with a phosphorus grenade. And then another one of him steps out from behind the camera. And then, Mm -hmm. and then, and then Lena has a similar encounter, but like, I guess she doesn't really take the time to kind of get to know her shadow self before Mm -hmm. she hands it a phosphorus grenade and kills it. 
and then it burns mm. everything to the ground. I'm I'm curious. And I don't know that there is an answer to this. I just want to know what your reads are. Um, the Oscar Isaac that we see fragging himself, um, do you think that that was original Kane or was that Shadow Kane? No, I, th- I think original Kane killed himself. And But I do, I think, I mean, I think it's really, really clear in the movie, but weirdly I've had discussions with people that think otherwise that I think it is the, um, so coming back at the last shot of the film, I think it's the, fake Kane, and then the real um, but heavily mutated Lena at the end. Yes, I think it's mutated as well. The thing is... And I think, I think that's part of part of the issue that I wish that that close-up of, of her eyes and their eyes in general wouldn't have happened because I think it's, it's leading you down a path that is... Uh, it almost seems like it's telling you and unless you're clever enough to start to realize like no they're probably still mutating even outside of this like there's a reason that fake kane is still alive and it's because he's able to still survive even outside of the shimmer i'm i'm curious about like whether you guys will will jive with what i'm thinking i think that at a certain point there is no difference between the two of them anymore um for instance um the the tattoo that Natalie Portman gets after it goes to Gina, after it goes to the guy who's dead. That is like a physical mutation that is not tied to DNA. And so it, it must be tied to something else like experience or, or something like the refracting that they talk about. The shimmer refracts light, it refracts sound and radio waves. It refracts DNA, which is why we get plants that are growing with a human Hawks gene that, you know, actually exploit uh, like dictates the physical of them and so i'm i feel like with all of that refracting with all of that constant perpetual mutation it is possible that original kane is less original kane than the mutated new shadow kane is because and i'm gonna need your help with this Oscar Isaac earlier in the movie in flashbacks and everything doesn't have a southern accent, does he? I I did pick up on that. That was really strange. You know, yeah. It Right. So I'm sort true. of wondering like if he suddenly got a southern a southern accent from one of the other members of his crew mm-hmm. and he talks about how he thinks he's Kane but he's not sure anymore. And so it feels mm-hmm. like it's it's this whole question of like what is yourself? And at that point if that was you know, original Kane, and he is dead. Is the Shadow Kane closer to the Kane that original Kane wanted to become? Is that why, you know, now that he's not sick anymore, he's able to like actually embrace Lena? Yeah. So you know, mm-hmm. it's, so it's you, this, you think it's, so? Like the shadow, so the shadow that manifests, the shadow version of yourself, isn't as affected by everything in a shimmer as you would have been if you stayed in the shimmer. Because, like, is that, I think because it is of the shimmer, or maybe hmm. like. It's trying to become you at the same time that you're becoming something Less else. Of yourself, yeah. And so, you, like, mm-hmm. I'm, the, I think that the Lena that comes out is definitely the original Lena. And I think that because she spent less time in there, she might be less affected. But mm-hmm. it feels like the whole movie could be read as, like, a, a parable of these two people's, 
like journey towards forgiveness and reconciliation and like they say that they're not sure if they're even who they are anymore like he pretty much says i am not kane sorry mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. says i'm not sure if i'm lena but then they embrace and they both have the the shimmer in their eyes but i don't know Which that I've... i don't know that that specifically means that like they're not real people i think that it yeah. means that they have this shimmer in them but i think that that change could be seen to be like not not bad does that make sense like the her her and him might still be as close to their original selves as they could have been even though he is definitely not the original body of kane yeah there's Mm -hmm. so i have three points i want to touch on really quickly so one i think the I heard that there was a test screening of the of this, and that there's another ending where it the movie kind of zooms into her eye at the end, and then you see through flashbacks like something, which I don't know what would have given you. I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and so that was one thing. And then the did anyone else say the one I love the movie? Yes. With Elizabeth, that that this oh, ending yeah, yeah. reminded me so much of that. Like it was copy and pasted, kind of like. Would you do you care if your significant other is not the real person kind of thing? Like it just had that ex- the exact same idea, which I thought well, was interesting. It's, yeah, it's it's weird because like at the end of the one I love, uh, which I should I should say that? spoilers for that that the, the, if you guys haven't seen it, it is not you guys but listeners. Yeah. Um, I believe it's on Netflix and it's Elizabeth Moss and um, Mark Duplass and Rooney is Rooney Mara in it? No, she's the. Oh no! It's her husband, her previous boyfriend's movie. Anyways, I know that's random, but um, she's she. It's from the guy who did the Discovery, his movie before that, which starred Rooney Mara. Um, yes. But yeah, a relationship drama that's pretty fascinating, kind of almost Spike Jones esque in a way. It's, but yeah, it's super good. I yeah. I love the hell out of that movie. But like, but very it's similar this endings. concept of yeah, I guess you know, basic spoilers sort of for the one I love. I'll try not to get into details, but like if. If you were looking at your your relationship and like a person as a series of static traits, then a shift in that will make it seem as though you're not in a relationship with the same person. Um, for instance, let's say that there is someone that you're with who claims that they hate Cadbury eggs, right? And you're like, I can always tell my girlfriend because she hates Cadbury eggs. And then one Easter... You go out and buy a bunch of Cadbury eggs for yourself, confident in the fact that she will not eat them. And then you come home and see her just straight biting into a Cadbury egg and saying, man, these things are delicious. Like, <laughs> Well, lit- in, well the one I love isn't it literally bacon, isn't that yes, the thing? Yes, but I was trying, yeah. like I said, not to use specifics. Ah, sorry, it's fine. Okay. It's fine, whatever. It's, but yeah, so like, that's, that's a weird thing because like in that movie, that is like a symbol that it might not be the same person. Um, mm-hmm. but in real life, at some point you would just say, oh, this person just realized that Cadbury eggs are delicious and now I have to buy even more yeah, they came to my side. because they're going to, they're going to start eating my damn Cadbury eggs. <laughs> um, can you tell I'm excited that it's Cadbury egg season? So, but in movies like, in movies like the one I love or this, like a, a small change like that will suddenly mean like that the world is off its axis. But I think that what's interesting about this movie is that it seems to admit that that kind of binary thinking about a person's traits are like not true 
mm-hmm. that like we are constantly reshaping reshaping who we are mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's it's uh it's weird like i the, recently started going to the gym and i'm getting thinner so like at one point is my wife gonna come home and say oh my god he's 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 a smaller version of himself like this isn't my husband like no that's mm-hmm. not how that works like i am destroying large brian and going towards slightly less large brian but that doesn't sure. mean that i've like innately given up my sense of self and like if i were to well you know i have cut back on my drinking because i uh, have a child now so i can't get wasted every weekend like i used to and like that's a destruction of one aspect of myself but it's in service of creating something mm-hmm. which is you- what this movie's kind of going on about the last little detail I, I want to touch on that I liked was the um, – so they, you already brought it up actually was in the beginning they do this like zoom in on the cup with the – like you see like a fingerprint and on the end they also zoom in on the cup and like the fingerprint I think like the water that's left is like moves. Did you guys see – did you guys notice this at all? And I, I noticed that it, it kind of congeals towards itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought there I'm was not a sure reason. If that's, if that's just like the water tension or if that's just how it naturally does. I'm not I think, sure. it, well, Tessa Thompson makes a point to say something about like her, she's going to feel her fingertips like moving. Or I, think, I believe at one mm-hmm. point, and I wonder if that was like a nod to because at the end, at the last one of the last scenes is like they make, they make a clear point to zoom in on the glass of water, and I feel like mm-hmm. there's a point to that and and to show that like I thought it was the blood. It looked well, a little bit like the. the well, I think it, it was a just, little bit like the yeah. shimmer itself, like the boundary. How yeah. it is like it's like a violet melted glass that's kind of shifting upwards. Yeah. I thought it was a point to show that it was her, it was original Lena and she is continuing to mutate now on, in the real world. Cause I don't know. That's what I took it as, but I'm curious if they would continue to mutate out in the real world because the, the well, shimmer she really is might've gotten cancer. Defeated. Like that's part of it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought the building got cancer from, from Ventress as well. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's weird. I I also want to talk about the fact that like um, there's this there's a concept of like giving in to the shimmer and like what it will do to you. Um, Gina Rodriguez kind of goes nuts and is murdered by a bear that um, was like had the voice of Cass, who was killed mm-hmm. by said bear. Um, so, so it's weird cause Cass is kind of just taken out horror movie style, but then Anya played by Gina Rodriguez is, is taken out by her. I, I don't even know. It's kind of, it's hard to like really nail it down. She, she, she snaps at the, she, at the middle she does. of the movie. She goes real crazy, ties everyone up and then, um, I she think, runs I out think cause we, she hears We Cass's start to voice. see... We start to see an early crack of that because when when they first get to this, the me- I guess the mess hall, they almost yeah the mess hall. They they kind of set it up as their forward operating base, and they kind of like they're like okay, this is a location that we can kind of camp out at, and you know it's indoors, and we can kind of guard each other because they still don't. I mean, after before this point, they've already gotten attacked by an alligator, so they already know like okay, like not everything in here is going to be super friendly. And so um, they 
stumble upon this this uh, packet with a uh, it says if what is what does it say it says something like to those if, who if you're follow. here read yeah to those who follow and it's a memory card and so they play the video and it's basically this guy being cut open and showing his intestines who are obviously moving like it's some kind of living creature inside of him and Gina Rodriguez is she's a former kind of medic or a paramedic and so she's like no that's this it's is just, just a trick of light just, it's not what happened and everyone yeah, else is like a, what are you crazy <laughs> yeah and so once that happens once she can't even accept something that like should be up her alley mm-hmm. right it's just it's just kind of melting her mind and i think that early indication is kind of one where she all of, a, all of a sudden starts to take sides. Like once they stop uh, going along with what she's saying, she's like really suspicious of everything. Yeah, because she even says to Lena, like, you're taking her side. And Lena's like, I didn't know there were sides. Yeah. Like, I didn't which realize is, we were suddenly a, in opposition. <laughs> yeah, which is a really interesting fissure to kind of start from from almost you know, five, 10, 15 minutes into them being inside the shimmer. And so we know to track kind of one character and see her mental state. Mm-hmm. And it's very obvious that she's like starting to break down. I thought she was actually having issues with her foot because she keeps sitting down all over the place. <laughs> but I guess she decided that she wanted to just kind of keep an observation of her skin. Yeah. <laughs> And she started to notice that her skin keeps changing. Well, the, the, and, the one that's most yeah. interesting to me is what happens to Josie Raddick, played by Tessa Thompson, who um, finally appears without a long sleeve shirt on. And you can see the cuts on her arms. And from these cuts begin to sprout plants. And this the is when they're in that style. town where the um, the plants have begun to take human form Look like, like yeah they're not they're not like walking around but they're like weird woody plants that grow into the shapes of people and she is talking about how like it's refracting everything including their dna and she wanders off and she becomes one of these these topiaries and it's weird because she was the surveyor was she not yeah, it's not. She's not as defined. She, she yeah, but, yeah. but she, she, but she has that self to her, and she becomes part mm-hmm. of the landscape, and the plants are kind of growing out of the cuts, which is is like feels to me symbolic as hell. Um, I don't know. It was just it was really weird to watch that happen and to kind of get that sense of like. You know, you can you can embrace this. You can you can really take it upon mm-hmm. yourself to say like, this is changed, well, and I'm a little it. happy now. <laughs> yeah, she even mentions it. She she says uh, something about like Ventress is is wants to go into it. You want to fight it, and she's like, and I don't want to do either of those things. Yeah. And so she's just like, I'm just going to wander off and turn into a big fucking flower. I totally thought there was going to be a shot of like full on the fountain-esque euphoric shot of the like just her body. But they didn't go I really thought that there was going to be a shot of one of these humanoid plant formations with like her tank top on it or something or her dog tags. But I think it's I think it's kind of cooler that 
Lena can't even find her. Yeah. And then there's just so many of them, and it's like, well, it could be any of them. And none of them seem to be in any more pain than the others, because they're all just plants now. So they're fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that that mixed with the, the, um, the weird shadow dance sequence thing. Like, this is a movie where it has, like, the courage to not have to go full horror film with every ending. And I I really like mm-hmm. that because like yeah. it, I mean it's a it's a weird, <laughs> unnerving thing watching you know that humanoid chrome thing and Lena do their little dance, especially with the the music that is playing. Mm-hmm. The music is fantastic. Yes, this, this movie, the score, which is by the same people who did Ex Machina, and the, what's yeah. the guy's name? Yeah, Jeff Barrow. Jeff Barrow and Ben, ben Salisbury. Salisbury. Yeah, one one of them is from uh, Portishead, and yeah, yeah, that that and it's now being known as the Annihilation sound online. I think there was like a Slate article all about it. That um, was that. Yeah, yeah, amazing, so good. Yeah. Oh my God, I don't know what that is. It's so weird too because like. Given the way that the score had been previously, the shift it took, you could almost think that that is a noise being made by the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't come up until the very end, of the, like the last. Yeah, it it's only once that that thing is is in front of her that the the starts. <laughs> and it's really it, it fun to like do. Almost like a theremin. Yeah, it sounds like a theremin almost. It kind of sounds like Kermit the Frog, who can't make up his mind about something. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you? I talking about about one of my issues before. Do you guys agree that the debriefing scene was necessary in the movie? I, you know, it, it's more of an audience guy. I never really, but I feel like I, I never really even thought about yeah. it, and and it is interesting why why that sequence of why what, what do they call it they call it like the the narrative device yeah. or whatever like the bookmark like the bookends kind of with like yeah and, with like occasional check-ins mid-narrative too i guess sure and and they you know mm. one of my favorite films is uh princess bride and they do that throughout and so i, I think it's i think it's interesting that 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 this film specifically chooses to do that because it's basically stating from the outset that she is or some version of her is going to make it out Mm -hmm. which is both a spoiler but also kind of nice to know but it's almost like some audience member because you think that she's gonna make it out correct really she's like a different version of herself Mm-hmm. I th- yeah, it tweaks yeah. that. I think that um I don't I think that it there is a version of this film where it could be unnecessary, but but like the way that it it helps out with like her saying that she owed it to her, her husband before we really knew what happened and with her saying um the thing about the echoes and pointing to the tattoo Mm-hmm. which kind of like draws your eye to this tattoo and you're like, Oh, I don't remember seeing that on her. And also it sets mm-hmm. up like the deer and then herself with the Chrome humanoid thing. And I, I feel like it's def It was definitely conceived of as let's help the audience out a little bit. But uh, I, f- also, I think it's also let's help the audience out, but it also feels a little bit like Garland, um, which is 
the tendency I like leads from him where it's like, let's try to like keep doing a 180 flip on like what the audience thinks they're seeing. Like it feels like there's a lot of like buttons like that where the, the scene ends in the shimmer and then it comes in and it's like the, the guy, is it, is it, who is the, the Asian character who's, Benedict I've definitely Wong. seen him before. Yeah. Benedict Wong. Yeah. Where he like says something mm-hmm. that is like, you don't expect. And I feel like, Garland like loves that. Like when he wrote that, he was probably like, "This is gonna be brilliant," and what, it just feels uh, like, like a little too an, much. Uh, for instance, uh, I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> it's really bad that I can't. But um, I will think about it and let you know. But there was just more. I don't know. Yeah, I I also kind of like. Um, I guess I kind of liked it because at the end, you know, he he's kind of questioning her, wants to know what's going on, and then like once. It's so it's it's almost funny because he's he becomes like an audience surrogate for the people who would only watch this as like an action film because mm-hmm. she just goes through this crazy shadow dance with this thing, hands it a grenade, blows it up, its hands are on fire, it touches things, the entire place is burning to the ground, the the crystalline trees are exploding. And she is just having this holy moment after viewing this thing and all this other stuff. And then it cuts to him and he's like, so it was an alien. And yeah. that is like exactly the type of thing that like your friend who was cool when they were shooting crocodiles, but like kind of lost it during that scene, like would say to you at the end of the movie, he's going to walk out and be like, so sure. was it an alien? Like that, that's what that was. Right. And, and she's just like, mm-hmm. yes. Like if that's really what you need to know from this, yes, it was an alien. And then he's like, can you describe its form? What did it want? And she's just like, I don't know. But it definitely wasn't trying to like destroy everything. It was trying to create something new. What I don't know. Mm-hmm. No. And so, it's, yeah, so I, think- it, I think that, like I said, I think Garland probably conceived of this like, I need to have a through line. Like people need to know that this is going somewhere. Um, but I think that he then smartly utilized it in a way that deepened the stuff that was happening yeah yeah i i agree it's it's more it's not something i like hated and wish it wasn't in the movie i just i imagine a version of the movie where you're just so into their journey through this place that it become the ending is even crazier because you literally have no idea what to expect and because you Mm -hmm. know she does survive uh well part of her survives and i do like the little twist that you said but i just imagine a version where you just feel even more transported into the world because that's kind of what attracted me to the first place and the both the source material and the movie itself so and benedict benedict wong has like made a a good little niche for himself as being like one of the asian guys in a sci-fi movie like he <laughs> uh-huh. has he has been in sunshine moon um I just oh Prometheus Doctor Strange yeah Prometheus Doctor Strange he was also in uh, Annihilation which we obviously just saw did and, you say uh, Prometheus oh, you already said one. the Martian he... oh the Martian I didn't say the Martian yeah, yeah he was in the, the Martian, Martian. <laughs> and um it's good because I remember seeing him in Sunshine and I was like I love this guy he was also yeah. in a weird episode of the IT crowd. <laughs> Which is a, a show that I love to bring up, but yeah, I like anytime he's in a movie, I'm almost immediately like, "All right, I am down for this." Sunshine, yeah. which was also written by Alex Garland. Yeah, I got su- I will say this: I got super worried when Gina Rodriguez tied everyone up and was like pointing a gun at them, and then was like threatening to cut them open. Because I was like, Alex Garland, please don't end another goddamn movie <laughs> with one of your people going insane and murdering everyone else. Yeah. 
because yeah, I will I will defend Sunshine, but I do like I do like how they went for the more you know emotional you know yes cathartic. I love Sunshine. Sunshine is yeah. like probably one of my favorite films of the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, and like I will go to bat for it, but like when someone brings that up, I'm like, yeah, you kind of just have to accept that that happened. <laughs> just like it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm not a huge huge Sunshine fan. I love I love yeah 99 of that film, and then <laughs> and the same thing happens with 28 Days Later in, in a lot of senses. Oh yeah, where <laughs> one character just goes insane and then decides to leash unholy hell on everybody else, and it's just like no, like. Like I understand why. Well, yeah, but it's like no. So, so this. Let's do a quick run through of Alex Garland movies where someone goes nuts oh, and starts geez. stalking other people. There's The Beach, where Leonardo DiCaprio goes nuts and starts stalking other people. There's Twenty Days Later, where uh, Killian Murphy's character goes nuts and starts stalking and killing other people. There's Sunshine, where uh, Mark Strong's character uh, goes nuts and starts killing other people. Uh, I don't think it happens in Never Let Me Go. Dread, no. that's pretty much the whole damn movie. <laughs> Ex Machina, um, everyone gets stabbed. And then <laughs> Annihilation, we have Gina Rodriguez, who goes nuts, ties everyone up, but is then mercifully killed by a bear so we can have a quieter, more interesting ending. I don't think there's very much very much mercy going on during that Well, sequence. mercifully that, for that the narrative. Fucking brutal. <laughs> sure. Not for her. Yes. She gets her lower jaw ripped off. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, hmm. so good movie. So yeah, fucking great movie. I'm looking forward to writing an essay that will further explicate my feelings about how the movie is a reflection of a person's need to destroy aspects of themselves in order to mature and become someone else, either in the name of forgiveness so, and reconciliation, or just in normal human growth. One one thing I want to bring up real quick is this film was actually one of my top anticipated for 2017 up to that because that's well because that's when it was originally kind of slated to be released it was it was, never it, it never had an official that, date but it was rumored it, yeah true yeah it, and, and i mean i think we can tell from seeing this film and hearing about kind of the uh post-screening kind of debacle and everything like that that's happened that more than likely it was probably going to be able to make a 2017 release but once paramount saw the test screenings and kind of realized what it was they kind of balked Mm -hmm. on it and so i think it's interesting that this film possibly would have been a 2017 release because i'm not sure if they would have tried to play up you know it's potential awards consider like i I I think when they greenlit the film they were hoping for like another arrival i would assume and then um mm-hmm. it just because you know but the, i'm glad that it turned out the way it did um do we and it's think kind there's of nice any hope of this like seeing any kind of rec- first of all do you think it would deserve it and do you think there's any hope of any kind of oscar recognition no the, it will not get a single thing but do you think that it could have deserved any i just think it's not if mm. mother didn't get any and that's in the same paramount okay kind but of, like, like i can openly say that like i think mother could have gotten acting and directing and sound mixing and editing like do but, you think that oh, it, it, annihilation it could have received anything like would you nominate it for anything i think 
I think sound design maybe I don't know it's it's such a tough field to to kind of have right now it's um, like it's because I've been thinking of of Dunkirk I've been thinking about all these other fucking crazy ass movies that we saw this mm-hmm. year and so I'm not sure if if it would have knocked off sound design um and I don't think the score is but I'm not I'm not asking enough. I'm I'm literally just asking is there anything here that you think is Oscar worthy ish like because I will say, like, I don't think any of the performances really live up to it. I think the direction, maybe. I think the writing, best adapted, definitely. But, like, it's kind of yes. weird because in a what movie that's as, yeah. as invested in characters, I don't th- see, like, any of these performances being particularly standout. Yeah, but, I mean, what does Oscar-worthy mean? It, like, to me, that means, like, will it appeal to this certain crowd that you know what I, that Oscar- is voting for The Shape of Water? Okay, stuff, everyone's like- being very literal. <laughs> <laughs> if you had an end yeah, of a, if I, you I, had an end of year awards ceremony, do you My think own, that I say what I nominated? Yeah, no, it is strange because it's not really. I mean, I think I actually think Natalie Portman is kind of great in the film in like a more mm. subtle way than the other characters. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, because the I, way I look at yeah. it is, this is a great film that I don't know at the end of the year will have any like bests ofs in its favor except for the fact yeah. that it's just an amazing film yeah i think it'll be in a lot of like top mm-hmm. tens i would guess but yeah because like i'm i'm thinking of like uh like like again like arrival i would i would have been shocked if it had i actually was shocked when it was nominated for anything but like i could have said like amy adams deserves it cinematography the music even though apparently the music was not allowed but like in this movie in particular, I, after seeing it, I'm like, that was a fucking amazing movie. And then I was like pre-psyching myself up to be upset when it didn't get nominated for anything, mm-hmm. but really couldn't think of anything that I would want it nominated for, yeah. nominated. except for it's like all, Best Adapted, yeah. because that field's always wide open. It's almost weird because sure. it, 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 that's what I think are a detriment to the awards talk, because it does everything so well and so congruous with what the film's trying to do that nothing sticks out. And I think... Mm-hmm that is actually a good thing in the end. Whereas many other people, you know what I mean? Like it's not like, Oh, Blade Runner cinematography, which yeah. kind of felt I think so. That yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's almost like everything is so of a piece that you can't really pluck one out. No, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. every time Meryl Streep is in a shitty movie, but still gets a nomination <laughs> and you just wonder if she chooses to be in mediocre nonsense so that she sticks out. Stands more. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If yeah. you're three inches tall, but you live in a world where everyone else is one inch tall, you're going to feel like a tall motherfucker. Yeah. Anyway, I found that Slate article that you were talking about. It's the, this is exactly how many minutes you have to wait to hear that cool weird yeah. sound in Annihilation. A strange clickbait, a strange <laughs> clickbait title for someone who either A, hasn't seen the movie and doesn't want to be spoiled or B, who, you know, it just, it's silly. Anyways. Yeah. And according to this, uh, the four note theme occurs one hour and 37 minutes and 10 seconds into the movie. All right. Good and then, know. in case you were curious, and it sure is satisfying when it does. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> By the way, wrapping up, what pretty amazing end credits, I thought. Oh, like, yeah. Just, I just the, well. the visuals of them. And I was in a trance for sure. There's a YouTube link. It's the weird annihilation noise on a 10 hour loop. I, I, I saw that, yeah. Oh god! Maybe that's what I'll just play over the end credits or the the end credits of this uh, this whole episode. (laughs) Anyway, Um, so yeah, that's Annihilation. 
It's out in theaters yeah. now. Again, I, I, I think that anyone who's interested in seeing this movie, I don't care if you think it's going to be on Netflix in like the next two months. Yeah. Do yourself a favor and go see it in the theater um, because it is fantastic. Yeah, and for those that are not in, shot for that yeah, reason. and if you're not in the U.S., Canada, or China, it comes on Netflix March 12th. But and we are um, so sorry for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. well. Turn up your sound. Yes. Yeah. Turn it up high, especially one hour thirty-seven minutes and ten <laughs> seconds into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Uh, let me remind everyone to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Also, go to movie.com uh, slash film stage for your free 30-day trial of movie. Some great stuff coming to movie. We already talked about Into the Abyss. I also have two festival darlings from the 2016 and 2017 Berlin Film Festivals, which are showing exclusively on movie. One of them is called Plants, and it's the winner of two Berlin Isle Prizes, and it's a um, coming-of-age story with flourishes of comic book stylation and subtle embrace of thriller tropes. Uh, it is called A Hallucinatory Portrait of Loneliness and a Fearless Depiction of Female Sexual Desire. So check that out. It is a Chilean film, which is uh, not a country that we hear about films a lot from. No, except yeah. in the last year when there's been a ton of Chilean films. Yeah. They're on, in fact, the, the copy for this film literally says Chilean cinema is on the rise. Yeah, Fantastic Women, The Club, whatever. Yeah, anyways, there's a lot. <laughs> All right, Neruda. so that's movie. Right, yeah. M-U-B-I slash film stage for your free 30-day trial. Check it out. Um, you can also, again, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, uh, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, podcast filmstage.com for any of your longer thoughts and of course you can find us on itunes give us comments and a rating so that is it for today gentlemen let's tell the fine people where we can be found between now and the next time we talk which will be next week when we talk about red sparrow uh no it's not very good you can I do my review on you, yeah it's also two and a half hours so it's uh, uh the, well, yeah. what the hell else is there to talk about i think you should do your classic episode and I, you guys I, should find something good I think we should talk mm. about Red Sparrow. Maybe, but uh, right, we'll see. We'll I, I might, I might go see Red Sparrow. Yeah, I, it's okay. No, it's, it's not. It's okay. I gave it a B minus. It's, it tries something. I, yeah, I, well, you didn't like Ex Machina, so what do we know about you? <laughs> no, I, I thought I was. I liked it. I just didn't love it. No. Uh-huh. Anyway, no. Uh, so we'll probably be talking about Red Sparrow. Um, we'll also try to get out that classic episode uh, at some point. And um, yeah. So that's it. Let's talk. Let's, uh, let's tell the people where we are. Uh, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me trying to get back out of the shimmer and tying a rope around a tree or something. Give me give me some kind of situation here. Um, on Twitter, at CableBFG. And then you can also find me uh, having a lot of fun over in the Slack channel. All right. Jordan Rapp. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, twitter.com slash jpraup, R-A-U-P. And on the film stage every day writing. We have a ton of coverage from this year's Berlin Film Festival, including new Wes Anderson film, new Christian Petzold film, and a whole bunch of other good stuff. Hong Sang Soo. So check them out. Sweet. And you can find me writing at thefilmstage.com where my review of Mute is up. Uh, my personal site, dearfilm.net, where I have my full review written style of Annihilation, along with an essay coming out sometime later this week. And my Twitter, twitter.com slash Brian J. Rowan. 
And I think that's about enough for today. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. I am the master of hundreds of workers they owe to me. Can I abandon them how they live if I am not free?